Good morning, everyone. Again, as always, it's a joy to have you in our service today. Now, I sh don't know if I should ask this question, but let me ask it anyway. How do you think that I go about deciding what I should preach on every Sunday? Pray. When fellow says you flip a coin, <laughs> or you see what's on the internet, you know, and you pick up one of those. Uh, no, I don't do that. And really, I think one of the most difficult times I have during the week, and the reason why I might appear to be tense and preoccupied most of the time, is because of that. I am trying to determine what is God's will for me, as I understand it, to preach every Sunday or when I speak to you. That's really, that takes up more of my time. It causes me to be more uptight, anxious than anything else. Once it's decided, things sort of flow. Well, how I normally do it is prayer, of course, asking God's direction. Study of the word, maybe from my own time in the word or something that has happened. Or events, social events, events right in our community, world events. Sometimes they also give me some idea what God might want me to speak on. Or experiences as well, things that I go through. Things I'm experiencing with myself, my family, with other people in the body or, or whatever. Only now and then would I flip a coin. No, really. Well, that's what's happening last week. I had three different areas that I was thinking about. I was contemplating to continue the focus on freedom. And I was going to talk about the idea of what it means to overcome and who is it that has overcome the um, strong man in the home. We hear that quite a bit today. Uh, I was thinking again also of, of working on... Uh, the idea of what we are here for as a church. I believe it's important for us to be reminded of that. And we're going to be talking about that as well. And there's at least three different topics that I was thinking about. And then Hezbollah crossed the line and kidnapped two Israeli soldiers. That happened. And so I started to think about that. That was an event. And I consider it to be a very significant event. Event, And so I was wondering what God wanted me to do. And then I picked up a copy of the Tribune. And I read an article. It's called Israel Out of Order in Lebanon Attacks. A young man's view. I've never seen an article that is so filled with misconceptions, misunderstandings in my life. But I read it. And that stirred something within me. And I was saying, Lord, should I work on this instead? And as I was sitting down on my desk, looking at my computer, an email came from Kathy. That, that's Kathy Albright, you know, she uh, ministers around here. She sent me an email that she received from Juanita Roberts. You remember Juanita? That full, vibrant young lady? And this is what she said in a part of the letter. Ask pastor to send Tara or me information about who owned all the countries around Israel and like what is happening at Gaza now I am kind of excited that the Lord is soon coming so we need to be ready he will soon break the eastern skies and we will go and live with him I am excited that sounds like a, she's always excited what the Lord's coming that's one of the and she hasn't lost it says I'm sorry for the innocent people getting killed but this is where sin has brought us that's quite an insight. 
So when I read that, I said, thank you, Lord. I believe you've given me my indication as to what I should speak on today. And so I decided to speak on Israel. Because as I started to pray and think about all of this situation, we were so caught up with the political aspect of it. Sometimes even we as Christians don't realize that that's not a political affair over there. That's a spiritual one. Sometimes we forget that. And so I thought we would speak on Israel and the need for us to remember that God has told us in his word thousands of years ago that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And when I say Jerusalem, it represents Israel. Pray for the peace. This is the Psalm of David. David wrote more than half of the Psalms. And we have some tremendous appeals for prayer and in those psalms. But this is one of his most emotional and most meaningful right here. Pray for the peace of Israel. Now as I went through it, I realized right away that that would be impossible for me to put all of this together in one message. And so this is sort of an introduction to focus on the place of Israel and the plan of God. See, sometimes we feel that over there, boy, you know, I don't even hear the shots, I don't hear the rockets, I don't have to duck them. So there's no impact on me. Oh yeah? What's happening over there has already impacted us and it will in a greater sense. That's where the oil is, you know. You cut that off and all those nice big cars you got, you don't have them to run by. Going out every time in your boat and all of that, you don't have them. You see what I'm saying? And that could happen anytime. It does impact us. But that's a minor part of the impact. It's a spiritual element that is so concerned. God's plan for the nations, for the world, is being worked out over there. The wisdom of God is being demonstrated to angelic beings through those wars. You see? And we need to understand that. So I've called it Hezbollah. By the way, look at the word very carefully. We can talk about it a little later. The emphasis is on the last four letters. What, the, what are they? Allah. It means the party of God. That says Bullah. And they are adamant. They, want you, they don't want you to pronounce it Hezbollah. Mm -mm. It's Hezbollah. Allah. We are the party of God. And our major aim as a party is to annihilate Israel. That's it. Got to remember that. And so we will be talking about that this morning and perhaps in two weeks we might pick up our, our schedule again. But let me just read you a little bit about what this young man wrote. Now I'm not going to call his name because uh, I'm very negative about it and I don't want to uh, in any way because I think he has a good intention and all of that, although I believe it's misdirected. This is what he says. The inequitable international policies of our neighbors to the north, the U.S., are becoming more transparent as Israel is allowed to unabatedly persist with its decimation of Lebanon under the pretext of self-defense. Isn't that an amazing statement? Pretext. In other words, Self-defense is not our major concern. We just want to get rid of them, that's all. It's amazing to me how people can make statements like that if they really know the situation. That's one of the first things that 
to have my backup. Since 1947, when the establishment of the official borders gave Israel 56% of Palestine. Now that sounds huge, doesn't it? 50, I don't know where we got that figure from, by the way. 56% of Palestine. You're going to see how true that is. Bloodshed has gripped the Middle East. So who is he blaming for the bloodshed? Israel. But what actually happened? The very day that Israel was declared a nation, all the Arab nations around attacked Israel. That's where the bloodshed started. And you must never, never, never forget that. Israel did not start it. The moment they were declared a nation, all of the nations attacked Israel. They were defeated. I'm going to show you how momentous and how miraculous that was. But the bloodshed was not started by Israel. But you see, that's the lie that has come and continues to be perpetuated. Bloodshed has gripped the Middle East and Israel has annexed further territories where it today holds these. Understand, do you understand this? Now listen carefully. If the Arabs had accepted what was set up in 1947, they would have been celebrating 56 years of independence as an Arab state. Because remember, those two states were supposed to be set up side by side back then. Israel accepted it, the Arabs rejected it. Never, never forget that. If they had accepted that, you would have two states now. Now, would they be fighting? You bet your life they'd be fighting. Because there's a different reason for that. It wasn't for the vision of land or political things or something else. They'd still be fighting, but there'd be two states. But Arabs rejected it. He goes on. He says, I am aware that the U.S.-Israel-I relationship is reinforced by domestic political considerations. Man, it's amazing how these people could spin things. Particularly as the Jews, like the Cubans in Florida, compose a powerful political lobby in Washington. You see, that's the little daggy trying to slip in there. However, should pandering two political blocks be grounds for old Uncle Sam to just sit by like a Cheshire cat and watch? Pandering. Notice now, what if a few Mexican hooligans, drug dealers, launched a missile, notice that, a missile, into U.S. territory? Would it result in an attack on Mexico, its army and its infrastructure, and cause all of Mexico to suffer? Now, see who they are comparing Hezbollah to. Hooligans, drug smugglers, who shot one missile. This shows complete ignorance of who Hezbollah is. Complete. Hooligans like drug people and so on? No, my friends. You're going to see that these people, as far as they are right now in Lebanon, they are a part of the government. And we're going to see that. But anyway, this is what got me up. My, my, I really got angry over this. And so I decided that maybe the Lord was saying, let's look at this. And so, that's what we're going to do this morning. And so I ask a question. What is all the fuss over Israel? Why? We can see in a moment, Israel is no bigger than Miami, Florida. No bigger. But yet, 
for the last 50 years. Fact goes way back, but 50 years. What nation has been more dominant in world news? Israel, than any other. Israel. Why is that? What? Two million, six million people. Why all this fuss over Israel? Why does she get so much press coverage? Do you know that in Israel they have more press agencies set up than any other place other than Washington? United States of America. Why? Right down the street from Israel is a place called Egypt. With all of these wonderful historical things. When last have you seen Egypt in the headlines? Why all the fuss? Why all the coverage? Someone has asked, how can a little country some 50 miles wide and a mere 150 miles long keep the world in an uproar all the time. Now ask yourself that question. How can a little country some 50 miles wide and a mere 150 miles long keep the world in an uproar all the time? You see, that's it. Their size demands a concern for security. It's the very fact that they're so small that they must be concerned for their security. This is their primary concern. Because all around them are their enemies. And you know the psalm says, He prepares the table before me in the presence of his enemies. That's what God has been doing with Israel. For over, well, let's really only start from the time they've been a nation, but all through the history. But especially in the presence of their enemies. They do not have friends encircling them. Their wagon is being encircled by the Indians. If you remember the cowboys and Indians. No friends. Enemies. If they were not so concerned to protect their borders, then the desires and the wishes of those who have been against them since they were formed that the nation would be, fulfilled, would be fulfilled. What was that? Let's push them into the sea. That was the cry. Push them into the sea. Annihilate them completely. And if they weren't so concerned about protecting their borders, they would be pushed into the sea overnight. That's what's going on. Now let's look at a couple of things here. Just, I want to get the feel for this. This is very important. This map shows the distance from, from Israelite key cities to borders and explains Israel's concern for security. Tel Aviv is less than 20 kilometers from the West Bank Palestinian borders. Now I won't go through all of this, but if you see it here, there's some places as little as seven miles, Israel's territory, from their enemy. I think the longest is like 60 miles. That's the one up here that goes to Syria. He says it's like Mexico shooting an, a missile. That could be a good one because Mexico is right on the border, right across the border. But it's more like somebody on Paradise Island shooting not just one rocket, but hundreds on Bay Street. That's, that's what it is. And that's going on all the time. So if the Bahamian government over here 
was not concerned about making sure that the right people are over there on Paradise Island. They would have these people over there shooting these things at them all the time. And so they need to be sure that the right people are over there. Isn't that right? That's what's happening. Look at this. How big is Israel? Look at the United States of America. That's Israel. How big is Israel? Well, let's find out who's threatening whom. Here's Iraq. That's Israel in comparison to Iraq. Iraq is swallowed up. Look at Egypt. Same thing. What about in comparison to California? That's Israel. What about in comparison to Australia? See way down in the corner? Now tell me something. Do you believe Australia should have a big, big concern about a little spot like that? Turn it around, though. <laughs> if that little spot over there in the corner knew that all of that big spot over there was after them, things change, isn't it? Now, let me get, here's Miami. See, that's Israel to the right, Miami is right there. That's the size. You talk about the David and Goliath? That's what you have when you look at Israel in comparison. But now let's get further home. How can the Israelite people, numbering about 6 million, be considered such a mortal threat to some 200 million heavily armed Muslims in the Middle East? Now, you want a, odds here? 6 million to 200 million. So let's look at then the comparison between Israel and the Arab world. Can you see Israel? See our little blue spot up there? Don't blink because you might miss it. All of the other us are the enemies. Let me make it look different. Let me give you a different one. See all the green? That's Muslim. That's Arab. See that little red? Put on your glasses, bifocals. That's Israel. See? Here's another one. The bigger picture. Is even where's Israel? Now, all of those are real enemies now. Big ones. Where's Israel? See Israel right there? Right there where it is. So tiny. That's what we have to consider when we think about security. When it comes to Israel. What is the attitude towards some of these groups towards Israel? And I'm just going to introduce this now. We're going to come back to it later on. What do they think about Israel? Do they really want another state? They have three major... Terrorist groups, and they have many more, but three major ones. Hamas, Hezbollah, and the PLO. And every one of them had, as a part of their constitution, the annihilation of Israel. Arafat changed it just so he could have some way of getting further in. Everybody thought when Arafat decided it was okay to have a, a Israel as a state. Boy, he changes he did not. He was following. He thought, Muhammad, and he says, listen, you could make all kinds of agreements to get a foothold. And then after that, once you're in, you could do what you want. We'll see that in a moment. Here's a quote from Yassin, who's the head of Hezbollah. He say, if, and this is right after uh, they had had a little discussion with Abbas and everything else concerning peace. This is what he says. If it is a peace in the sense of a truce, a cessation of hostilities 
for a set period, it's all right is the idea. Islam allows the Ayman, that's the religious leader of the Muslims, to sign such a peace. For why? Notice. If he finds strength in the enemy and weakness among the Muslims and needs time to build and prepare. Now, this is the leader of Hezbollah. What is he saying? Oh, yeah, we could sign an agreement if we are in a position of being weak right now. And we are not the one who is dominant. We could sign a peace, but it's only long enough for us to rebuild our strength. No matter what the peace treaty says, once we have the dominance, we take over. And that has been the trait of Islam throughout the world. They come in, they're subdued as long as they do not have the power. But as soon as they do, then they take over. That's exactly what's happening. Six years in Lebanon. That's what they were doing after Israel withdrew. That's what they were doing. That's why it's so difficult now. And that's why Israel is determined it will not happen again. You say, this is especially true of Palestine. Because it is a land of holy places. An Islamic endowment that notices now. Now I want you to see that no ruler present or king has the right to give up and no generation has the right to cede because it is the property of the Muslim generations until the day of the resurrection. That's their attitude. Nobody can give up this property to the Jews because it belongs to the Muslim and this is going to be true on the day of the resurrection. So you can read all you like about these people making peace. No way. There's no way that this is going to happen. And let me ask you, I could give you a lot of information about Hezbollah and what they've been responsible for, how many Americans they've killed through the years. It's amazing how many places they've attacked and, and so on. I have a whole listing of them to show that Hezbollah is not only the enemy of Israel, but the enemy of the United States because they feel that it's as big as and large as Baca to give them arms and everything else. But we won't go through all of that. Listen to this one. This is talking about Hezbollah. He said, it is led by religious clerics. The organization aspires to create an Iranian-style theocracy in Lebanon and ultimately establish an Islamic government across the Arab world. In recent years, Hezbollah has become part of the Lebanese political process but also uses terror as a means to achieve its goal. There's no way of separating practically the Lebanese government from Hezbollah. There's no way of doing it. They're so intermixed and so on. Now, one of the things the scripture says about Israel is that anybody who associates with it is going to get in trouble. Oh yeah, I know it says that who you bless, I will bless, and so on. That's a part of it. We'll see that. But God also says that anyone who associates with Israel getting themselves in trouble. Listen to the passage. Politically, any association with Israel is a handicap. Listen to this passage. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. We're going to see that happening with the Arabs and everything else. But it has only stopped there. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. 
And who would heave it away, throw it away, will surely be cut in pieces. And all nations of the earth are gathered. That's probably one of the most important verses about Israel in Scripture. To summarize what he's saying here is that God himself is going to cause people to become so confused about Israel and know what to do. That's what it means to be drunk. When you're drunk, what happens? Confusion. And everybody who's associated with Israel today, enemy or friends, are confused. But know what to do. Just like Israel. Now I'm going to use the word, young people, this is not, I don't mean to be a swear word, but this is the way we say it. I'm going to explain it. If Israel fights, she's damned. If she doesn't fight, she's damned. If she doesn't fight, she's condemned. If she fights, she's condemned. Don't know what to do. People don't know what to do. You should, that's why they have all kinds of suggestions. Everybody's trying to get, don't know what to do, looking for peace. That's what it's all about. Peace, peace, peace. Where's peace? And we're going to see how important this is when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ as well. Israel is unique. She is to bless the world for those who bless her. Those who curse her are going to be cursed. But most of the time, before the blessing comes for those who bless her, they are going to be in a lot of trouble. You can see that as we go in our series. So let me ask you again, and this is what we'll be covering in our series. Will or is what is happening in Israel will affect us in the Bahamas? Will it affect us in the Bahamas? You bet it will. Don't think that has no effect on you. Cost of flying is going to go. All you all like to go away and buy grocery in Miami and all over the place. You won't be able to do that like that. I was thinking the other day, I remember when I could fly over to Miami round trip for $33. You remember that? $33 round trip. Now, it took an hour, but at least, you know, we still got there. Is her response to Hezbollah extreme? Extreme. As I was reading, that I, was, I just got out of somebody who they found that they had, he had a little uh, uh, growth on his brain. Just a tiny growth, he said. But they said it was cancerous. But you know what they had to do to get into that? They had to bore into his skull. They had to tear open his skull to get at that little piece of cancer. Was that extreme? They didn't do it. He would die. That's how Israel is looking at the attack of Hezbollah. You've got to see that. You see? Whose land is it anyway? We're going to be looking at whose land because that's what it's all about. Whose land? We're going to see, well, when you get right down to it, there's some family members fighting over heritage, inheritance. All right? But it has more significant meaning. This land is to reach into, uh, into eternity, if you want. Honor it, but into eternity. As far as God is concerned. This is a land that God looks at so important that he is going to have a place called Jerusalem come down from heaven. And settle right there in that land. That's the kind of land we talk about. Who does it belong to? Does Israel have a right to exist? That's the big thing. In fact, that was one of the first questions when they were talking about dividing the land way back in the 40s. In fact, even before then. Does Israel have the right to exist? One person got up and says, that question should not even be asked. Sure, there's a right to exist. But we'll see that as we go on. 
Notice what God says. And this is something I want you to get a hold of now. This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. This is God speaking. Now he's talking about this little tiny 8,000 square mile place. I have set her where? In the midst of the nations. This was a map of Israel a long time ago. Europe, Africa, Asia. There's Europe, there's Asia, there's Africa, and there's Jerusalem. Fulfilling scripture. Israel is in the heart of the nations. Right within me. God placed them there. Israel, they believe, is the center of the world. Now, geographically, that is not true. But spiritually, it is. Israel is the center of the world. Take a look now. I want you to see God has placed them there. Specially chosen by God. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. His treasured possessions. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of the peoples. See, that's why they're small. Because God wanted a small people to work with. And that's why it's so important for them to be small. And that's why it's so miraculous that the only way that they could really achieve what they believe that God has for them is through the help of God. And that's, of course, where Israel has gone wrong today. Remember now, Israel is like the church. Now, listen carefully now, you theologians. I'm not saying Israel is a church. There's an institutional church. And so we could say, not all who say they are in the church are of the church. Meaning that not who all in institutional church are in the true church. Isn't that right? In fact, if some of you right, not, right here now, you're not in the true church. You might be in the local church, but you're not in the true church. That's true of Israel. There's a true Israel. And Israel, that is not true. All right? And we have what's happening in Israel now. God is punishing his people already because of sin. They run away. We cannot get away. God is punishing them. There's no doubt about it. That's an element of it. But God is the one who punishes his people. He will choose who punishes them. And that's what's happening. The same way he chose Babylon to come in and discipline his people when they disobeyed. But there's a remnant there. That God still has, has his eyes on. Notice say, the Lord did not set his affection, his love on you because of how great you were, but rather because of how small you were. And then it goes on to verse 7, he says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out of, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh the king. Here is what happened. God is keeping his hand upon this little tiny nation because thousands of years ago he said to Abraham, leave the land where you are and I will show you a land that will be yours forever. God made the promise. The land belongs to Abraham and his family. God did it. He did it. 
Notice what he says again in Psalm 148. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Close to his heart. That's why David cried, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. He's praying for the people who are close to the heart of God. And they still are. In spite of this sin, they still are. And you're going to see that he's going to deal with this sin, but he's going to redeem them and deliver them as well. Look at Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country. That's the pagan country. Your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Turn your back on all of them. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. A great nation. Just little tiny people. That's where they are now. They weren't always like that. But because of sin they've been scattered around the world. But they will be a great people again. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God gave a promise. This land is yours. And everyone who blesses you I will bless. Everyone who curses you I will curse. God is tying his entire plan for this planet to a people, small in number, and a land specifically set out notice what he says in Psalm 147 he says he has revealed his word to Jacob his laws and decrees to Israel he has done this for no other nation they do not know his law no other nation this people is a chosen people no other nation is like this nation Israel was never considered to be a part of the all, all other nations there came a time when they wanted to be. That's when they asked for a king. Remember that? But God never regarded them like all the other nations. God always saw them as a unique entity all by itself. You remember when Balaam, the first Gentile prophet, was hired to curse Israel and he couldn't do it no matter how he tried? When he got up on the hill, he looked down, and this is what he says. From the rocky peaks, I see them. From the heights, I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. This is a unique people. That's why we are commanded to pray for Israel. This is a unique people. God has chosen them. Oh yes, they've sinned and they've gone astray, many of them, and God is punishing them. But God has not done away completely with his people. He's still working in and through his people in that land. A chosen people. But now what about the land? Genesis 17. This is what he said. I give to you and your descendants. After you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan. And an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. I have given it to you. We are going to develop as we go on that the three reasons why Israel owns the land. A biblical one, a historical one, and a legal one. We're talking about the biblical one now. It was given by God. God made the covenant with Abraham to give all the land of Canaan, all of it, from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. Now friends, God is very emphatic about giving the land of Israel to his chosen people forever. She has the title deed from God for this piece of property. 
In Genesis 24, Abraham says, The Lord God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household and to my native land and who spoke to me and promised by an oath saying, To your offspring I will give this land. Now isn't this something? God made an oath to Abraham that this land belonged to him. Here God in the court of the universe, I swear by me that the land is yours. That's an important act. The land of Israel belongs to the chosen people. Notice what it says. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. And by the way, we're going to see that that's what this is all about. The fight with the seeds going on, by the way. There's so much here. Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt, under the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites and the Canaanites and the Kadamanites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Rephium and the Amorites and the Canaanites and all thoseites. God says, all of it belongs to you. All of it is yours. From Egypt to the river Euphrates. Now, when we go through a part of it, we're going to show that God has described every border. Who's going to be on the east, the west, the north, the south. If you go to Ezekiel 47, 17, 20. We go here, God tells them who's going to be on the east, who's going to be the west, who's going to be on the north, who's going to be on the south. God gives the exact boundary. You talk about somebody who knew how to go in and map out a piece of property. God himself did it. Can't make no mistake here. God himself did it. And right now, Israel isn't possessing even just a tiny portion of it. You see? But we'll see that later on. Here is what you have to remember. The chosen land was given to the chosen people as an eternal inheritance. Don't forget that. The chosen people was given a chosen land as an eternal inheritance. You see, what's happening now? We have two seeds fighting over this who the land belonged to. We get that going on in Nassau all the time. In fact, there's some things in court right now over that. God did promise to give another seed of Abraham a big nation, you know. And boy, they've got a big nation. In fact, that's the nation that's fighting right now. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll make you princes. And he's done that. He's given them 22 nations in the Middle East is it from the other seed of Abraham. But God says that Israel's enemies, and here is it, will unite and seek to annihilate them as a people and take the land for themselves. And he gives names. He says, now I've given it to you. I've outlined it for you. But listen, the people, they want to take it away from you. And here's one of the other significant verses you must come to understand when you read about Israel in the scriptures. This verse right here. Psalm 83. Notice what he says. They carefully plot against your people. And make plans to harm the ones you cherish. Remember he talked about Israel close to his heart. That's what he's talking about. They carefully plot against your people. And make plans to harm the ones you cherish. They say, come on, let's annihilate them so they are no longer a nation. That's the word of God. That's what Hamas, that is what Hezbollah, that's what the PLO, that's what they're saying. They're fulfilling the prophecy right here. Let's annihilate those who are close to the heart of God. Political? This goes far beyond 
politics. Then the name of Israel will be remembered no more. You know how many times Arafat said that? And those other leaders saying that? We want to write them on and you don't want to even remember them anymore. Do you realize now that they have already got a new map of Palestine? And guess what? Israel isn't on it. They have textbooks with maps of Palestine that they teach their children and Israel is nowhere to be found. And these are the people who say that they're seeking for peace. Yes, they devise a unified strategy. Now this is one of the most amazing things. The Arab nations have never been unified about anything. They're always fighting one another. They come from the son of a man like a wild donkey. You remember them? We'll talk about that. But they've never been unified except for this. The desire, the intention to annihilate Israel from the face of the earth. They have come together and they've decided, although we're not united in other things, we are united in this. Yes, they devise a unified strategy. They form an alliance against you. It includes the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, the Moab and the Hagarites, the Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, the inhabitants of Tyre. That's where they're firing things. Now, all of these names, they, they're right there. Even Assyria has allied with them, lending its strength to the descendants of Lot. Selah, the descendants of Lot. Those are some of the ones who are fighting against. Those are the enemies. Who are they? Now, do a study a little bit here. Here, the tents of Edom, that's the Palestinians and the folks from Turkey. The Ishmaelites, that's the Arabs in the Middle East as well as North and South Africa. Moab, that's Central Jordan. The Hagarites, those are the people who descended from Hagar, the bondwoman. Gibel, modern Jubel in Lebanon. Ammon, Northern Jordan and Ammon. Amalek, the Edomites in Palestinia. Philistia in the Gaza Strip area. That's the people that the prophets said hundreds and hundreds of years ago are going to agree together to annihilate Israel. That's what's happening. God is fulfilling prophecy. Don't just see over this some political fight. God is still in control. God isn't somewhere out having picnic someplace. He isn't fishing while all of this is going on. No. God is right there. Carrying his people through a time of discipline, yes. Carrying the Arabs through a time of judgment, yes. But his will is being done. You see, it is possible, my friends, and we'll see this as we go on. But we've got a lot of things to see when we go on, eh? <laughs> the Bible says that the wrath of man does not what? Please God. The wrath of man does not please God. Do you know something else? The wrath of God does not please man either. And that's what we have to see is happening. The wrath of God being worked out. Now, this normally divided nations then, these normally divided nations will unite. As they have done again and again in the past to overcome God's chosen people in God's chosen land. They tried again and again to take it away. They haven't succeeded. But that's what's still happening. These people here and all of those surrounding nations from little Israel, the same way they did when they first were proclaimed a nation in 1948, all those nations came down against her, thinking that they would annihilate this little tiny nation. But they were made ashamed. Only God 
could accomplish what was accomplished then. And it's only God who's going to continue to accomplish his will in their life. You know, we're always talking about peace, and they're always talking about peace over there. Well, one time they were talking about peace and what's happening in the Middle East right now, and uh, about the peace plan. You hear about peace plans and all of this? We can be talking about peace plans and see how important they are. They are important. But what kind of peace plan? Listen to this quote. I thought it was so good, I thought I'd share it with you. This is what it says. World 1 was often called the war of all wars. At the close of the peace conference following the worst conflict in history, Archibald Wavell, an officer who served with the British Army in Palestine and was later promised to field marshal, prophetically declared, after the war to end war, this seems to have been pretty successful in Paris at making a peace to end all peace. Think about that. That's a remarkable statement. That's what's happening right now. All these big shots, United States, France, Russia, all of them coming up with a peace plan. For what purpose? To end peace. My friends, listen. What we're talking about here, the kind of peace that we must be praying for, for Jerusalem. No peace plan on earth can ever bring. America, Israel cannot ally herself with the horses of men or the chariots of men. Remember, he says, when you lean on nations, it's like leaning on a, on a broken stick, like a thorn. It's no use. Israel cannot look to America to save her from this. No. The lasting peace, true peace, it can only come through the Prince of Peace. That's when Jesus Christ comes to earth and he himself sits in Jerusalem on that throne of David. And he's really owned then as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The peace, that's when it'll come. That's why I say to you more than ever. And listen, one of the things, and I, this hit me again as I was going through all of this. We have lost a sense of our roots and our coming, uh, how much we've got from Israel as the people of God, as a church I'm talking about. And so this goes for us today. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you, says David. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. That is only going to occur when Jesus Christ comes back to take us to be with himself. Let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Look at, read the news with eyes that have been informed from the word of God and the spirit of God. You'll have a whole different dimension in your prayer life. Sila, think and act on these things.